Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here today, and uh, I'm just year to year thrilled with uh, just what we've been able to witness this morning. I want to invite you to enter into Hebrews chapter 7 with me. I'm going to be doing the reading, and one of my uh, desires for this series in the book of Hebrews is for us to read all of the book of Hebrews, because there are some uh, passages I think we might never read on our own. And uh, so much of the power is in the reading. And there were times in the church when there were no sermons, just readings. So those were the good old days. Um, Look on the screens and uh, follow along with me as I read from Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, But made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons, and those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect the tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, Pay tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from whom no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of his weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said 
to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were presented, prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. The word of the Lord. Amen. Um, I caught that in my peripheral vision, but the words weren't on the screen. Uh, they are, I think, in your bulletins. Can somebody confirm that's true? All right. Great. So you can follow along with me. Uh, that reading took about five minutes. I have 25 minutes total up here with you today. So this is a large chapter, but the idea in here is very simple yet profound. And what I want to do with you is to uh, tell you uh, what the chapter is saying, and then derive a sermon out of that, and 20 minutes will have passed, hopefully, and we will um, call it a sermon. Uh, today is the third Sunday in Advent, and the title of the sermon is Serendipity. Serendipity, by definition, means this, an unsought, unintended, or unexpected but fortunate discovery or learning experience that happens by accident. So there are a few key ideas here, uh, a couple of criteria. It's outside of our effort or will or even wishing. That is, it's outside of our conscious thought. It happens completely out of left field. And the second criteria is that it leads to positive change. It's a sort of blessing, if you will, in your life. You didn't ask for it. You didn't know to want it. You didn't work for it. You didn't will it. And yet it happens to you. It's sort of an outside intervention into your life, into your world, your day, your circumstance, whatever you might be experiencing. It comes from outside of that and interjects itself into your life with the result that it leads to positive change. That's what serendipity is. Another way that I might say it as a believer in God is serendipity is Grace from above. It's not a result from within, but it's a grace from without, from above. I recently took an inventory of my relationships. I came uh, uh, to talk with many of my former uh, pastor friends and mentors and people I had uh, been walking with. 
been in ministry now going on to my uh, 20th year. I can't believe that. And uh, so there's a lot of relationships, a lot of people with whom I had intimate connections with. And I marveled at how unplanned so many of these relationships were. I didn't ask for this person to be a friend of mine two, three decades later. I didn't ask for the impact they made. I didn't know how they would influence me. I didn't know how they would speak a timely word or give a gift or be present during a trial. I I just was uh, filled with thankfulness. And I'm amazed as I think about the relationships, the faces, and the people in my life. And I know that as I share that story, you have the same story. That most of the wonderful relationships in your life are serendipitous. You didn't have the foresight or the wisdom or the ability to make relationships happen the way they did. And there are people in your life who continue to bless you. They are grace from above, not a result from within. It's not a result of your competence or your hard work or effort. But you have been blessed, endowed serendipitously with relationships. I don't want to overstate this, uh, but I think I have... For myself, I've never studied Melchizedek before, and uh, some of you are learning to pronounce it for the first time now. You can say it out loud if you need to, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, and uh, I think I kind of cracked the Melchizedek code, and I want to share with you what it is. Uh, What chapter 7 talks about is that there is a system of works. There are a system where you input, and then you get an output. You work hard, and then sometimes you mess up. And when you mess up, you offer a sacrifice. If you get some good things coming your way, you offer sacrifices of thanksgiving or atonement for your sins. In any case, there is this system that is uh, uh, of human uh, sort of uh, effort and will. But then, this system... Uh, even though it rules our day, there is another order or another system wholly different and other than the system that we know, the system of works and rewards of input and output. And Melchizedek is the representative for this other system. And I want to talk with you today about that other system. And this system is not of works, but it is of grace. Melchizedek represents the conveyors of grace in your life. You know your life. You know its input and output. You know its survival of the fittest. You know you have to work hard so that you can reap the harvest. But outside of your effort or will or your conscious thought, there is another system altogether, the system that Melchizedek himself belongs to. It's the system of grace, of serendipity. So I have two points for us today. One, uh, Melchizedek, and two, 
Jesus. Verse 11 is an illustration of this. Now, if, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? Now, Aaron was a priest, right? But somebody who predates Aaron is Abraham. And Abraham was blessed by a priest who was not in the order of Aaron or Levi, but was in a separate order altogether. The author of chapter 7 goes so far as to say, in fact, all of the priests were in Abraham's loins when this other priest from this other line blessed them. They were all blessed to be priests. Even the priestly system, the works, the reward, the effort, the will, all of that that we think of as life was already encapsulated by a blessing, not of works, but of grace. The system we know that we're familiar with is work hard. Get into the best schools. Don't forget networking because it's about who you know. Work hard at it. Practice makes perfect. 10,000 hours or 10 years. Do whatever it takes to square away your life so that you set yourself up to be on the receiving end of the rewards because the system rewards hard work and diligence. But you and I know that that is not true. That life does not consist of effort and will and just rewards. That there's this other thing that we experience called luck, happenstance, chance. Every story I can think of that is amazing has some aspect of it, some elements of it that pertain not to works, but to grace. Something outside of the intent and will and consciousness of the players in that story. Something amazing happens. There are, there's lots of research uh, that illustrate this. That there has always been, even when we write world history, and we love to give certain people a lot of credit, if you delve into their stories, you discover they had Melchizedek in their life people who came from outside of the storyline came into contact with these protagonists and these stories and somehow changed the course of history or planted a seed, a word, a blessing that transformed them forever. And this ability for life to be serendipitous to his players is what Hebrew author of Hebrews calls the order of Melchizedek. There is a love and a wisdom and a grace that is beyond the system, beyond the grind, beyond the daily routine. And uh, I guess the first challenge uh, for you, if you are here and you're not a believer and you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus, uh, I want to ask you to bear witness to this, that even if you don't believe in God, that you've had experiences in your life, good things, 
happen to you that you did not ask for or work for, but you received anyway. That somehow, call it what you will, I, I will call it grace or blessing. You can call it luck. You can call it happenstance or chance. But it's a real phenomenon. It happens all the time. And what we see in our own life as we bear witness to our own life and uh, in chapter 7 here is that this system of works and law, the sacrificial system that everybody uh, was under, it wasn't actually able to bless anyone. It barely brought people up from the pit to zero, but people were never able to get beyond the surface. They were never, never, never able to experience the kind of breakthroughs in their life through their own effort. And if ever they did experience some sort of grace in their life, there was some consciousness on their part that they didn't work for it, that they didn't know to ask for it, but it happened to them, that they experienced a blessing. What do you think about that? How do you account for the serendipitous events and circumstances and relationships in your life. If you didn't work for it, if you didn't create it, how did you get it? Why did you get it? Um, One of my favorite authors is uh, M. Scott Peck, and uh, he has a description of serendipity or grace uh, in one of his books, and I want to read a couple of things for us from there. He says this, Serendipity has the following characteristics in common. They serve, A, to nurture, support, protect, and enhance human life and spiritual growth. B, the mechanism of their action is either incompletely understandable or totally obscure according to the principles of lateral law as interpreted by current scientific thinking. C, their occurrence is frequent, routine, commonplace, and essentially universal among humanity. And D, although potentially influenced by human consciousness, their origin is outside of the conscious will and beyond the process of conscious decision-making. And he goes on to say, although generally regarded as separate, I've come to believe that their commonality indicates that these phenomena are part of a manifestations, part of or manifestations of single phenomenon, a powerful force originating outside of human consciousness, which nurtures the spiritual growth of human beings. For hundreds and even thousands of years before the scientific conceptualization of such things as immune uh, globules, dream states, and the unconscious, this force has been consistently recognized by the religious who have applied applied to it the name of grace and have sung its praise, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. What are we to do? We who are properly skeptical and scientific-minded with this quote-unquote powerful force originating outside of human consciousness which nurtures the spiritual growth of human beings. We cannot touch this force. We have no decent way to measure it, yet it exists. It is real. Are we to operate with tunnel vision and ignore it because it does not fit in easily with traditional scientific concepts of natural law? To do so seems perilous. 
I do not think we can hope to approach a full understanding of the cosmos, of the place of man within the cosmos, and hence the nature of mankind itself, without incorporating the phenomenon of grace into our conceptual framework. Yet we cannot even locate this force. We have said only where it is not, residing in human consciousness. Then where does it reside? It is not simply because we are scientists that we have difficulty locating grace. The religious who, of course, ascribe the origins of grace to God, believing it to be literally God's love, have through the ages had the same difficulty locating God. What M. Scott Peck is saying is that all of these seemingly random experiences of serendipity in all of our collective lives, all throughout history to this very present day in your own personal life, all human life always have always experienced serendipity. And this serendipity is not chaotic, but it originates from one source. One place of good, one place of love, one place of wisdom. And the religious have called this grace and have sung its praises and attribute this grace to God himself. If you're sitting here and you're not religious and you don't believe in God, where does serendipity come from? Because I know you cannot deny its existence. It does exist, it persists, it's pervasive. It's in your life. Where does it come from? Grace is from outside of our life. How do we experience such a grace in our life? How do we interpret it to ourselves? We know that our system is broken. We know that we mostly add fuel to the fire and foolishness to the fight. Not wisdom, not love, not truth, not light, but oppression and darkness, power trying to overcome power with more unwieldy power. That's our system. That's our way. But there's this other thing outside of our system altogether. Melchizedek, Grace from beyond, blessing, reminder that not just a force, but God, and not just God, but the person of Jesus Christ. He was always the plan. Verse 26, 27, 28 says this, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. This is the Christian message, what Christmas is about, what Advent is, that grace has always been present in our world. Even in the days of Abraham, before the law, before the system of works and rewards, there was grace. There was love. And Jesus was always the plan. The law was never perfect. It was never meant to be perfect. It was 
designed to show us how imperfect systems are in general. That what we really need was a mighty savior. We needed some kind of intervention breaking into our world. We needed Melchizedek. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know what happened to him because that's the point. He always was and he always will be. Melchizedek, the actual person, was a stand-in for the Christ. And now that Christ is here, Christ is perpetual, he's not going anywhere. Uh, I want to read you this other excerpt uh, as part of our ending here before we get to the application point. This uh, is uh, from a guy affectionately known as Science Mike. He's an atheist scientist, and he became a Christian. And this is how he explains the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, there was a rapid expansion of a singularity. 380,000 years later, there was light. And when there was light, there was hydrogen and helium, and they were stable, fundamental forces of physics, which worked together to birth the first stars. And those stars lived for hundreds of millions of years before they died and exploded and spread their essence across the sky into clouds of heavier dust than those that existed before. The forces of physics worked together once again to craft new stars, now tightly packed into the first galaxies. And the cycle repeated. That cycle had to happen several times before we could have planets. Planets could only exist because a few generations of stars died and were reborn. And it was from that process that this planet that we live on was allowed to exist. And this planet we live on is covered with a film of life unlike anything we've seen in the universe. As far as we know today, it's unique. That life is fed by a process where carbon from the air and minerals from the soil are attached together with the energy of photons through photosynthesis. So everything on this planet lives by the constant sacrifice and dying of the nearest star. Every single blade of grass, every tree, every bush on this planet is a resurrection of the sun's energy. And I exist because I steal that energy by consuming other things that have died. That dead matter... That dead matter literally returns to life in my body through my metabolism, and one day I will die, and a lot of my atoms will go right back to being alive in something else. One day our sun will explode and spread its guts and its essence across the sky, and then we'll form new planets and new stars. Resurrection is the pattern of the physical reality we see today. Resurrection is the language of creation. Death, burial, and renewal is the way that change occurs. And so, do I find it that that incredulous that somehow the source of all left his signature on our civilization through resurrection? What Science Mike is saying is that the whole pattern of reality, of existence itself, the cosmos, the universe to which we belong, follow the pattern of life, death, and resurrection. 
Is it so crazy? Is it so unbelievable that when the creator of this universe wanted to make himself known and convey his grace and love and wisdom and power to us, that is his signature, he did so through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it is by the birth, life, and death of a star that we live, that we are literally made of stardust. This is so crazy that Jesus, who in the book of Revelations claims will become the very son we, by whom we live, that he himself would die so that we might live, that he would be resurrected so that we might live forever. Is that so crazy? Is that so unbelievable that from the very beginning it was through grace, the dying of stars, that we live? And now we will live forever through the dying of the highest star, the Son of God Himself, continuing to give grace to us today, continuing to shine into our lives, continuing to break into our deathly system in order to save us? Is that so crazy that we celebrate Advent? Even as we receive the coming of the rays of the sun on our planet, we receive the grace of God. Is it no wonder Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, God causes the sun to shine on the good and the righteous and the wicked and the evil? That is what God does. He gives to us graciously. And we call it luck. But I ask you, is it? Or is it more? A couple of application points and we will close. Um, Right now in your seats, I want to ask you to think about three experiences of serendipity, circumstances, events, people, and relationships in your life that you didn't ask for or know to want, but here you are on the receiving end of grace. Second, I want to ask you the question, if you don't believe in God, to whom do you say thank you? I really want to know, because I know you feel gratitude in your heart. Even if you're not a believer, you have been on the receiving end of grace upon grace, as scriptures call it, that you have gratitude that's bursting in your heart at times. Who will you say thank you to? I want to suggest that we say right now officially uh, some official organizations and missions that are conveyors of grace, that are the Melchizedeks, the lights in the world. I want to thank our church. Our church, 51% of our job is to just stand here and just be. We don't have to do anything. Just by existing and persisting, we shine the light of God. So thank you, church. Second, I want to thank uh, Salvation Army, for example. Some of you will see John Lindbergh out there shaking the bell. And uh, we're a covenant church, uh, but we love John, and he's a covenant, and he also loves the Salvation Army. And so he's asked to do that. But there are some amazing stories 
of what the Salvation Army is doing all around the world. I read again this week about the sex trafficking work that they're involved in. It's amazing what grace they convey in this world. So I thank God for the Salvation Army. Who will you thank? Third application point is I want to encourage you. The scriptures teach us that we've been blessed to be a blessing. I want to encourage you to be Melchizedek. You understand that Melchizedek is not Jesus, but Jesus was in Melchizedek. You are not Jesus, but Jesus is in you when you bless others with the blessings you yourselves have received. It's incarnation. It's God, Jesus, you. Jesus is the incarnation of God, but you are the incarnation of Jesus. One new organization I want to introduce to our church today that I hope, I'm hoping personally that will grow into a big, significant partnership with our church is an organization called Big Table. It's the only organization in the country that ministers to the largest industry in the country. You know what that industry is? It's the food and hospitality industry. And it's some of the most disenfranchised people in any workforce. And they are largely invisible because they are paid to be unseen in the back. Or if they are seen, they are trained to smile. Their job is to look like they're doing great so that you can have a nice meal or a nice stay at a hotel. And Big Table, founded by a former pastor, is the only organization that ministers in a powerful way to this group. And our church uh, can partner with them. One very practical way this Christmas season to be Melchizedek. Uh, Outside in the Christmas tree, there are gift opportunities. Uh, There are also envelopes called uh, the Unexpected 20. And you slip a $20 bill or a $40 or $60, whatever you want to give. And you give that to them uh, along with a large tip uh, in payment of your restaurant bill. And that $20 or $40 impacts them completely differently than the tip you leave for them. Because that 20 is completely unexpected. There's some information on that envelope, uh, an organization, Big Table, they could reach out to if they need some help. But this is a huge door opener, and there are literally hundreds and hundreds of changed life stories in this brand new organization. And you will hear more about it in the weeks to come. But out there, there are envelopes and brochures that you can take with you uh, this Christmas season. Uh, say thank you to God by being a blessing uh, through the unexpected 20 envelopes. This Christmas season, I want to remind you that we have been on the receiving end, not just of luck, not just of fortunate circumstances, but of God's grace. He is serendipitous in our life. Because if we only received what we asked for, if we only got what we deserve, we will not make it. I want to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we bless you today as you have blessed us. Thank you for your grace in our life. And your will for us is that we continue to rely on this new order of grace, 
of serendipity, of love and wisdom in our life. So we give our lives over to you. And for those of us that are uh, wrestling with this thought of God or Christ, I pray that we would, they would experience uh, grace upon grace, so much so that they cannot deny the origin of this grace. And that is you, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.